Welcome to Cathedral Talk, a podcast about architecture and Minecraft, where we converse to save Notre Dame. trombone hero on my phone is that the same thing as trombone champ probably not i don't what did you what did you do to your phone installed spyware yeah i installed an app called trombone hero it looked like it had the same sort of you know little round character you know but the problem is it doesn't make any sound at all it's just sort of uh silent something's broken did it take your uh social security number to activate um it asked me for notifications i said no it asked me for something else, and I think I said no. Mother's maiden name? No. Here's Trombone Hero, Trombone Champ's inevitable mobile clone. It didn't cost any money. There was just a get button. So So that's definitely spyware. I thought Apple protects against this kind of stuff on uh, the App Store. Maybe. 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 I mean, better than some. So what? What? where can you get the official Trombone Champ? Where? Where do you find that? Steam only. Steam only. Is it PC only? Uh, do, do, do. That's David doing trombone hero by himself. Do, 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 do. Oh, for a second, I thought that was it's rating. I thought it's rating was holy wow, but that's that's the developer name. It's rated NC 17. <laughs> Come on, Steam, don't fail me now. Are you not telling me this because I already bought it and you're like, you don't need this information? I'm getting the sense I should probably delete this off my phone as fast as possible. It's Windows only. Windows only. Okay. The mobile clone is supposed to have sound. Okay. And ads are supposed to appear after each round. Okay. Well, the fact that there's no sound and there's no ads is consistent with that statement. There are no ads either. What did you download? Trombone Hero on the App Store. It made number 15 in the free iPhone game chart. It's a crypto mining. Sorry, that was in Japan only. So is Trombone Hero in like a larger suite of every orchestral instrument champ hero series of games? Or did just they make the trombone game because trombones are awesome? Trombones are uniquely funny. They are funny. I say as one of three trombonists on this podcast. Uniquely funny? Yeah. Yeah, the, the classic experience of playing trombone in orchestra is you count, rests, rest, rest, count some more, rest, count, rest, blah, rest, 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 more rests. And then you just go to sleep and wait until the music sounds familiar and then you play blah again. I mean, that is true. That is not quite what I was referring to by uniquely funny. That is an accurate statement. Yes, very, very accurate. I definitely took naps during orchestra pieces before. Typically in rehearsals and not performances. Sometimes performances. Every time you start a piece and you you have, you start an orchestral piece as a trombonist with good intentions, you're like, I'm really going to count the rest this time. <laughs> but then usually like a third of the way through, you just get so bored. And then you're just like, I think I'll remember when I'm supposed to play something. It's also really hard to remember. Did you just count 65 or 66? 2, 3, 4, 67, 2, 3, 4, 68, 2, 3, 4. Yeah. I don't even remember what I did. I think I blacked out half the time. This does not surprise me. I mean, I was in far fewer or orchestras than I was in bands. I was in band a lot more in band. You have a lot more to do. 
So yeah, I guess those are more bands. How about you, Zach? More bands or more orchestras? I was never in orchestra. I was only in band. Oh, so that no wonder you're giving a skeptical face. Yeah, I had no idea what you were talking about. I was playing. Yeah, no, band and orchestra, very different. Yeah, band you're playing as much as any other instrument. Orchestra, I mean, because they didn't, uh, didn't we talk about this? They didn't yeah. add trombone to orchestras until like early 1800s. And even then they did it begrudgingly is probably a fair way of putting it. They said, we need one note right here. Blah. Okay, done. It is a little unclear to me what I say again as a trombonist, what orchestra composers think they're getting from a trombone that they're not just getting from a French horn in a prettier way. Like French horns are basically trombones, but prettier, harder to play, but prettier. Oh, so much harder to play. Have you seen their mouthpiece? It's awful. It's awful. Yeah. It's awful. It's like I had trouble trying to make a trumpet make sound, but forget a French horn. They're much harder to control. Like the range of skill for a French hornist is much wider in the sense that the possibilities of terrible French horn player to fantastic French horn player is a very very large range of skill levels there's a lot of variance uh less so with trombone i'd say it's not as hard yeah it's that's probably true it's also it's it's not it's not as easy to to mess up it's not as hard to play very nicely the reason trombones are actually uniquely funny back to to the original point though is they look ridiculous to watch and yes they make a nice splat noise i do think that there is an element though that People, when they see the slide moving around on a trombone, they think, wow, that must be a really hard instrument to play. Because every time somebody would like watch me play trombone, who's never played trombone before, they'd be like, how do you know where to put the slide? Like there's so many different ways. It's just like. No, there's seven. There's seven places to put the slide. Yeah, there's there's seven places to put the slide. And if it doesn't sound a little right, then you just use your ear and then you adjust a little bit. Hence why trombone champ is an excellent simulation because all you have to do is just slide it a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Can't do that with uh, trumpet keys. No. Tune yourself. Yeah, no, it, I think tr- if you if you're trying to train your ear, play trombone. It'll train your ear to recognize subtle changes in pitch. That's probably true. Yeah. So I wanted to branch out today to another Gothic cathedral in France just to give some comparison and perspective into the way Gothic architecture evolved over that 13th century era. There was a massive building frenzy of Gothic cathedrals all over northern France. And I think I mentioned before that Notre Dame was really like one of the first very large Gothic cathedrals that sort of led the charge, but sort of at the apex of that initial era of extensive Gothic cathedral building is another famous French cathedral and in fact is the largest Gothic cathedral in France. And I think we've mentioned it a couple times on the podcast before, it's the Cathedral of Amiens. And I actually happen to have built it in Minecraft recently. Is this the part where I get mad at you or does that come later? Um, I imagine that you'll get mad at me throughout the podcast, but you can get mad at me now if you want. Yeah, fair enough. I might as well just take advantage of it when the moment strikes. 
You built another one and it wasn't Notre Dame? Well, okay. First of all, you remember when we recently this showed you the, the sound of me taking my hand and slapping my face? I'm confused. Wait, 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 wait. Before, before we get into the Tom's thing, aren't all cathedrals in France Notre Dame? Yes. Ooh, nice one. Well, no, no, sorry. There's a few exceptions, but like, I want to say like, 85% of them are Notre Dame. So is this Notre Dame de Amiens? Yes, Notre Dame de Amiens. Okay. Good job. So he did build Notre Dame. This is now the sound of me slapping my hand against my face again. <coughs> yeah, I, I just, I don't know. Uh, so first of all, I built this before we did a tour of the two to one build and all of the latest updates, you know, with the Triforium or the, with the gallery and the second levels, that's actually later work than what this was. I actually posted this back in, I think May, I want to say, but, uh, wait, this has been our web. Neither of you, neither of you happened to ever check our website or YouTube channel. So neither this has been on our website since May. <laughs> Why would I look at our own website? Yeah. So neither of you ever check our website. <laughs> What's on our website that I need. So, uh, yeah, you guys just didn't notice. I'm pretty sure I have actually looked at our website since May. I don't know how I missed that. <laughs> I have the shirt. I have the podcast. I have the server information. What do I need from the website? The donate link, Zach. The donate link. The donate yeah, link. The donate link. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's been there a while, and uh, <laughs> I was just feeling the itch. I was like, I, you know what? In the Minecraft gallery of various Minecraft builds for a podcast called Cathedral Talk, there was only one cathedral, and I was like, I need to change this. I need another cathedral under the gallery. So I figured, what better place to start than the Cathedral of Amiens, because it is. A truly impressive building, a truly impressive Gothic cathedral, certainly one of my favorite in France, only under Notre Dame, of course, herself in Paris. And we gave you both a little homework, didn't we? Uh, we had David and Zach do a little bit of documentary watching on uh, some of the interesting quirks in the architecture of Amiens. But I think I might run down quickly here just some notable uh, aspects of Amiens. Amiens, again, is notably bigger than Notre Dame. It is quite a bit higher. For example, Notre Dame's main nave vaults are only about 34 or 35 meters tall, whereas the vaults at Amiens are as tall as about 42.3 meters. And in terms of like when you just see them side by side, uh, you can see just considerably how much taller the vaults in Amiens are. It's definitely a new iteration in the engineering where they tried to push the envelope as far as they could and almost to its breaking point, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. Sorry if I missed this. Did you say how far apart they are in age? Yeah, no, I didn't explicitly. So Notre Dame was initially started in 1163, whereas Amiens was begun in 1220. That's not that far. Yeah, we're talking a difference of, you know, roughly 60-ish years. And it's not like Notre Dame was anywhere close to done by that point. Yeah, no, no, it definitely wasn't. Uh, Notre Dame was still very much in its early, well, maybe not early, early, but middle early stages of construction. So rather than this being an example of let's look at our forerunners and try to do better than them, this was a steeple measuring contest. That's one way to put it. So you said that it's a lot higher than Notre Dame de Paris. Well, the the nave is, I should say. The nave is. Notre Dame has, for example, much bigger bell towers. Oh, interesting. But Amiens has a much bigger interior space, taller interior space. Huh. How much more light is let in? Yeah. Uh, so that's a great question. Amiens 
in general, appears today a much brighter interior with much larger clearstery windows uh, across the top of the main nave chamber. Uh, but then, of course, it's pierced by lots of windows on the main arcade level, on the first level as well. And actually, I think a good place to start in our sort of journey to adventure around Amiens just a little bit is to actually mention that we know the names of the master builders of Amiens. And that is something that we can't take for granted about a lot of these cathedrals. We actually don't know the names of the people who were the master architects or the master builders of Notre Dame de Paris. But we do know the names of the primary master builders at Amiens, which is interesting. Maybe that difference of 60 years, or maybe people just kept better records, or they weren't destroyed in a war. Who knows? I mean, this, I think, further proves, to steal Zach's phrase, steeple measuring contest. If the Amiens people were looking for some some more fame. It's possible. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's certainly true. We, and I should say, we do know like the names of like the principal bishop, um, Sully, I think in Paris, who was the bishop in charge of getting the project going, but he wasn't the person designing it. Oh, sure. We know the financiers. Of course we do. JP Morgan. We do know the actual equivalent to architects from Amiens. There's sort of three principal ones and their names are Robert de Luzache. And the second one was Thomas de Como. And then the last one was Renaud de Como, who is uh, his son, actually, Thomas's son. That's cute. Yeah. Robert, or Robert, was the guy who came up with the, the basic floor plan, and he came up with the basic design and concept, but he was only around to build one corner of the actual arcade in the nave. And he only was there to build from about 1220 to 1228. And then for a good majority of the work for the next 30 years, from 1228 to 12. 58, Thomas de Cormo took over and he built pretty much the entire nave of Amiens Cathedral. The nave was built by 1236 and he slowly moved on to the choir. That's actually one of the interesting things that's rather different about Amiens. I think I've mentioned before, usually cathedrals start at the east end and are built slowly towards the west end over their life cycle. Uh, you built like the chevet, the apse, all those semicircles. And then you slowly work your way to the West End, and that sort of gives the clergy their space first, and then they slowly build the space for the the masses. Right. But for some reason, they decided to do the... Um, the pretty part that would get noticed? Well, no, again, the... This, this theory is holding up more and more. <laughs> uh, after... Como, uh, Thomas Cormo, his career is over. His son, Renaud, takes over. And uh, Renaud is sort of known for being a person who wanted to outdo his father. Nobody actually, you know, this person lived 800 years ago, and we don't know exactly what person they were like, but we can just infer from the elements that are left in their building style that it looks like Renaud tried to accentuate a lot of the initial details that his father came up with. And in some cases it worked, and in other cases, uh, Renault actually really jeopardized the structure. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about Renault. What did Renault know, and when did we know that Renault know it? You know? No. I think what I wanted to, st what, what I wanted to mention about um, Amiens Cathedral, though, that I think is one of the most striking things about Amiens, is the very odd bell towers on the west facade. Yeah. Uh, if you take a look, we have a slide deck, and if you take a look at just the first few pictures, uh, I mean, if you look at the second picture we, we got here, you can see the resemblance, although unique take on a Western facade with its two bell towers. They're a little unequal in height, which is, you know, 
some deviation. And it's a lot more lacy. It's a lot more flamboyant with a lot of its uh, architectural details and doodads. But if you look at it from the side, if you look at picture three or picture four in particular, do you see just how thin those bell towers are? They're not the usual, you know, blocky cubicle mass that the bell towers at Notre Dame and Paris are like. These bell towers are remarkably thin, so oddly thin it looks weird. Especially compared to the uh, transept rose windows. Yes. Which are almost seem like that should be the the main uh, focal point. Yeah. And so this was one of the principal things that for quite a while I was always trying to get more information on. Why did they build these two towers so thin? I I remember reading in one book that was theory crafting many years ago that said maybe they were constrained by space on the ground and maybe there were certain buildings in the sort of grounds of the cathedral that they just couldn't get rid of. And so they tried to squish the towers so that it would all fit in a limited space. But our good friend, Dr. Stephen Murray, put out a book, Notre Dame de Amiens, Life of a Gothic Cathedral, just a few years ago. And I actually read the whole book just this last year. He had a very unique theory that I found really interesting about why these two towers are so thin. And I actually thought I'd just read you one quick passage, which I find just fascinating here. The last area of critical choice in the planning of Amiens Cathedral involved a novel type of Western front piece. In the course of the 12th century, the so-called harmonious facade, with its twin towers and triple portals, had become canonic, embodied in the monuments like the Abbey Church of Saint-Denis and the cathedrals of Noyon, Léon, Notre-Dame of Paris, Sasson, and Reims. As Master Robert and his clerical colleagues rehearsed their memories of such monuments in relation to their desired agenda at Amiens, they might well have debated ways to ensure that a visitor's entry into the cathedral space might be dramatically transformative of an experience. Compressed by the funnel-like portal and inspired by the message conveyed by the sculptural program, the visitor should be projected directly into the brightly lit spaces of the nave. The traditional western front piece with the square towers supported by massive interior supports often encumbered and obscured the western bays of the nave. So this was a take that I had never considered before. And again, I, it's not clear to me how much of this is fact and how much of this is theory. My guess is it's mostly theory, but again, it's a very interesting theory that the towers were purposely made extremely thin so that when you walk right into the nave, you're not standing under the bulky towers, you're standing into the lit interior right away. Which is the thing that's they're clearly most proud of. Exactly. They're, it's all about optimizing for the experience on the inside of the church. Sort of, to some extent, at the detriment of the exterior, at least in my opinion. If you actually look at the next few slides we've got here, if you look at slides, uh, the next four or five slides, I've actually got comparisons of the ground plans. And these are all oriented north, south, east, west. Uh, we have Notre Dame, Chartres, Reims, and Amiens, the last one, the cathedral we're focused on today. And if you look at the western side, that'd be on the left, of course. You know how a compass works, right? Something about magnets. How do they work? Polarity. If you look at the left side, the west side of each of these ground plans, I think you can fairly easily see where the tower outlines would be on the base of the floor plan. I think you can see the big square masses outlined in the floor plan with the larger piers or columns that would support their corners. 
But when you get to Amiens, you notice that the bulky buttresses, they're only the portals, and then they just eject you straight into a nave-like space or the aisles. And basically, you've got these two thin towers sitting just right on top of the doors. You see what I'm talking about? Yep. Yeah, you get in right away into the, if the, the goal was to continue to maximize height and light, this is the example, it seems. Yeah, these uh, these four ground plans are also in build order, so you can kind of see a little bit of evolution, right? We've got Notre Dame, and then Chartres shortly after, and then Reims and Amiens, so you can sort of see a little bit of evolution from one to the next to the next to the next. And I also want to point out, Amiens, that if you look at the north and south aisles right after that western facade, you actually don't see part of today's ground plan in this picture. There are actually chapels that line the exterior between the buttresses, much like how Notre Dame is today. That isn't even included in this initial floor plan. I think this initial floor plan we're seeing here is like the original floor plan that Robert of Luzarche had created, but then they modified it over time. So one of the things that Dr. Stephen Murray talks about is sort of his sadness over how they bumped out the side walls of this church and it put the windows farther apart and it reduced the light on the inside. Oh, that's ironic. Yeah. So it's it's kind of in some ways interesting that they made modifications just because they needed more space for more chapels and things that took away from the lit interior uh, experience. I have a question. Um when talking about the west facade and how narrow it is, you can see that certainly more from some of those side pictures. When you look at your second picture in the slide deck, though, it doesn't look that different from Notre Dame. Obviously, you know, one tower is way taller than the other. They're not, it's not very symmetrical, but it, it still has the basic Notre Dame de Paris style. Gothic. Yeah, you know, it is. Yeah, there you go. That's what I meant. No. Um, <laughs> uh, this might actually be more of a question for Zach mm. to some extent about the photography of this. Sure. Because when you look at, uh, at the second picture of the Western facade, it, it's you're basically just seeing the Western facade. You're not seeing any of the things behind it. Mm -hmm. You see a little you're bit. You're seeing a little bit of the north. Yeah. You're just seeing a little bit of the north sticking out. But then if you turn to Tom's Minecraft image... That's the west facade with the spire and the dead middle. Yeah. It's not just a little jut out. It's completely subsumed by the jut outs on either side. Yeah. And I'm guessing that's a photography thing, but like Minecraft, it's a flat image. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. It's not just a flatness. I mean, I think we were talking about this in the context of other topics, uh, but we didn't put a name to the effect. You can see this, the effect that lenses can have most strikingly on the dolly zoom effect. And now what's the dolly zoom? If you've heard it, you know what it is. If you haven't heard it, you don't know what it is. But I know both of you have seen Lord of the Rings movies. Yes. I've also seen Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, but I'm trying to explain this to David. And I didn't know David would have seen Alfred Hitchcock. David's seen Alfred Hitchcock. A fair number, not all. Let's stick with Lord of the Rings. Fine. Okay, Lord of the Rings. In Fellowship of the Ring, when uh, they're on on the road and the the ring wraith is going to track them down and it does this effect where it zooms in on frodo's face but sort of the background recedes away yeah 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 that's a dolly zoom okay and they do that by simultaneously moving the camera on a dolly 
and zooming at the same time. Got it. And so that changes uh, the properties of the lens in such a way where it, it creates this this effect. And Tom, what's your favorite Hitchcock example of this? The classic example, not my favorite Hitchcock movie, but the classic example is Vertigo. Yes. That's not your favorite? Your favorite movie is not the one that gave you nightmares for years? No. It gave me nightmares for years, and I still haven't gotten over it. I was just asking for the favorite example of a dolly zoom in a Hitchcock movie, not your favorite Hitchcock movie, um, <laughs> for clarification for David. The equivalent of, for me of a movie that traumatized me as a child is actually relevant to this podcast. It was finding out the not the Disney version of Hunchback of Notre Dame that Quasimodo dies. That traumatized me. Wait a minute. The book? Yeah, there's a movie version of of the book, and I found that out in like some documentary about it. And there's just a scene of Quasimodo ringing the bell and just collapsing dead. And I was just I was a broken child for the rest of the day. Mom had to like comfort me. Wait a minute. Did uh, Esmeralda also die in that uh, edition? I don't remember what happens to her. It's probably not good. She dies in the book as well. She gets burned at the stake. Quasimodo doesn't rescue her. Yeah, that's what I was guessing. I, I kind of forgotten that he dies. Does he actually, does he die <laughs> in the actual version? Yeah. I'm doing a podcast about Notre Dame and I didn't know that Quasimodo actually dies. You know oh. the happier version. <laughs> I'm so sad inside. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so dolly zooms. <laughs> you might have to take over for just a minute. No, dolly zooms are an example about how properties of the lens can affect your perspective. Right. Right. So my my question is, for these two images, yeah. uh, since our eyes are not camera lenses, which of these two would be more like what I would probably see myself if I was standing where the camera is uh, for in both of these? I have no idea the answer to that because I don't know. So like you see these really striking pictures of like the moon during an eclipse or something like where it comes over the horizon. And that's what you think you see when you see the moon low on the horizon. You see this big Truman Show sized moon that, that's just sort of sitting there. And it's not how it is. That's a psychological effect. It's not a lens effect. And people achieve that in camera by like zooming way the frig in. <laughs> it gives the appearance that the thing in the foreground of the image, which would normally be in the background of the image, but the thing in the background of the image is the moon. <laughs> right. And so you're you're doing this sleight of hand with your camera. I don't know if they're doing the same thing with image number two in this slide deck. Sure. So I'll, I'll tell you right now, in, in the slide deck, and we'll, again, we'll share these pictures in the show notes, when you just see the Western facade without the jetting out transepts on the other side, that's what it looks like normally. My picture, where you're looking at, I think it's sort of an isometric or something metric like that version of the picture, that is the camera is super far away. And just like Zach said with the moon, the camera is super, super zoomed in on it. This is actually sort of to create a sort of quasi photo diagram. I think it's like a sort of an architectural uh, way of sometimes portraying elevations where you don't want there to be any perspective. Uh, the deal is that the different layers of the cathedral that may be recessed further and further back, the differences are insignificant to how far away the camera is. Mm -hmm. mm, I see where you're getting at. I guess I could have figured that out, right? If you're close, you would be seeing less of the north and south wings because those rays to your eye would be blocked by the western facade. Whereas if you're farther away, though, if you're doing like ray tracing, 
those rays are not being blocked by the, the Western facade. I think you need content warning on this picture on the website. Not true to reality or something. It's Minecraft. Because it's jarring, man. Is it jarring? It's a pretty photo, but it's just like I was completely thrown by thinking that the Western facade is dominated by the two transepts when it's not, you liar. Again, it's just that it's you would the only way you could ever view that Western facade is if you were to be fairly close to it and the transepts would be so far away. Sure. That it wouldn't matter as much. This is the same thing we talked about with St. Paul's Cathedral many episodes ago where St. Paul's Cathedral on the outside looks better when you're far away from it because when you're far away from it, perspective-wise, the giant dome looks giant in relation to the other elements of the cathedral. Right. Whereas if you're close to, say, St. Paul's western facade, its twin towers dwarf what looks like a tiny dome far away in the back, and it looks weird. Uh, I think St. Peter's is an even worse example. Yes, St. Peter's is even worse, exactly. Um, speaking a little bit more about the Western facade, though, I, I have been, I should have mentioned, I have been to Amiens in person. Uh, out of these four major Gothic cathedrals, I've been to three of them. I've been to Paris, of course, Notre Dame. And I've been to Amiens and I've also been to Chartres, which I talked a little bit about before, too. But Amiens, you, I think the whole idea is you're not supposed to notice that the towers are very thin when you're standing in front of it. You really can't. Yeah, I, I don't. When you stand in front, of it, it does not come across that way. Right. You're, you're not supposed to notice. It's only as soon as you walk around the side, like in picture four or five, that you're like, whoa, that is a weird optical illusion where that is a very thin tower. How many bells are in that tower? Yeah, that's yeah. I was I was trying to figure out how many bells are up there. They do have bells up there. Clearly, they're not as much space for bells as at Notre Dame, though. How is that not just like an easily findable answer? You know, you'd think it would be. But when I actually tried to Google like how many bells, th the problem is like usually for these answers, right? It isn't just like two, three, or four. It's usually like 15 or 20 like of, of widely varying size bells. Like not only in the towers, but in the spires and just nestled throughout the cathedral and just getting a clear answer to precisely how many there are is trickier than you'd think. Yeah, fair enough. To your point on you can't tell until you go around the side. Uh, I guess you were there in person. So did you experience that in person? Because what I'm I'm currently on Google Street View and just like trying to walk around it. And there isn't like a great angle, at least on on the south side. Go to slide 17 in the slide deck. This is a view from standing on the north side of the cathedral, looking at it, sort of looking up from the town as it's nestled above. Oh, sure, yeah. And you can see how, from that perspective, yeah, the tower is quite thin on that side. Itty bitty towers. But as you looked at slide 18, as you start to rotate around it more, you can start to see the towers starting to feel wider again. Well, it's because they, they I assume they're very non-square, yeah, right? right. They're, they're very <laughs> wide. <laughs> what rectangular <laughs> they're very rectangles or squares or sorry rectangles can be squares squares are rectangles i'm saying that yeah right yes we said the same thing yes we're not fools no right and so the these like notre dame's towers are much closer to squares than these is my point yes right. from from the front these the i don't know we'll label that the width dimension uh is probably very similar to notre dame de paris but it's the the side uh oh god width and depth not height, depth sure the depth is uh like half or something that's what tom was trying to show on the floor plans right gotcha 
I was focused more on the walking into the nave thing. Yeah, yeah. Walking in the nave, but also, again, just noticing that the bases of the towers themselves are much smaller than uh, they are for a lot of these other cathedrals. Also, just I do like this one picture of my own Minecraft build, which is to scale with the one-to-one Notre Dame build. Again, not as perfect as Minecraft will allow me, but within, I think, a pretty good tolerance. If you look at the second-to-last slide in the slide deck, slide 41, this is a very close size comparison, and you can see Amiens' size versus Notre Dame's size. Yeah, the Notre Dame to Paris towers are yeah. certainly bigger. Though, wait, hold up, question. You said that you did not make these one-to-one scale, so are these truly comparable? So, again, within a tolerance of maybe like 5%, so oh, I'll make the difference. These big buildings, five yeah, percent's a lot. In terms of heights, though, I tried pretty darn hard to get the heights very close. The greater range of variance is mostly in length, not in height. Maybe just a tiny bit of height, but the the height is, I think, pretty darn close. The height of the nave in my model is about 40, uh, 35 meters for Notre Dame and about 43 meters for Amiens. So those nave heights are very close. And this has actually been one of the critiques that I've had and I've seen in a few other authors about uh, Amiens. People say that Amiens suffers from its great height in its western facade because the rose window is very off-center. The rose window in the western facade of Amiens is so high to match the vaulted space in the nave that it's not nearly as centralized as it is at Notre Dame where you can get a much more unified picture. You mean off-center in the height dimension? Yeah, yeah, vertical space. Vertical space. It's, it's so much higher. I think a word I saw one author say, the rose window on the Amiens facade feels almost like an afterthought, like, oh, and let's chuck a rose window up there because there's so many layers upon layers upon layers of statues and passageways and all sorts of stuff. Whereas the Notre Dame front, considerably plainer, more clean surfaces, ornate, but a nice juxtaposition of ornate and plain and the rose window is the center of attention. It's like the center of a three by three grid almost. Yeah. Exactly. You wouldn't say that the center portal is the center of attention? Well, that too, but I think when you are standing back from it and taking it in in full view, uh, and of course your attention changes depending on as you approach it. Oh, one second. Can you take a two-minute break? I just got to... Henry is crying and I have to get him. I'll be right back. One sec. Okay. How are you? Um... That could be better. I tried to fix one of my two toilets and I didn't do a good job. I I tried to do that with our shade and I made it worse, which is less of a big deal than a toilet. So I feel you. Yeah. Last Christmas, we got toilet seats and as a gift. That's cute. As a gift. Yeah. And they're, they're fun little uh, like designs and stuff like the one downstairs has a frog on it. Just cute. You just made me think of something that I... If you had two toilet seats at different floors of your house where they were, one was the blue portal and one was the orange portal from Portal. If you knew what the reference were, you'd be terrified. (laughs) Don't go to the bathroom while I'm going to the bathroom. (laughs) Anyways, I interrupted your story. But like we tried to install them and we did a pretty bad job installing them. The one upstairs, like when you open it up, it like like torques as you open it up oh, yeah. and like the, the seat doesn't sit on the bowl uh, well. Uh, and that 
that frustrated us and we haven't fixed that yet uh, despite several attempts and so this one we're like changing the interior of the reservoir hmm. because it was running loud and running inconsistently and like just today the one on the bottom the you know how you have this little chain that goes up to an arm that goes to the yep. thingy yep the outside piece disconnected from the inside piece catastrophically it's not just like popped off is broke off wow so i went to the store and i picked up all the materials and i spent like an hour trying to figure everything out and i've just got this tiny little leak coming from the bottom of the bowl Uh and there are warnings all over the instructions like don't tighten stuff too much or the porcelain will crack and i'm like if i don't tighten it then like how am I going to get a seal that's going to stop the, the dripping? So right now I've got a, uh, a sign on the door that says shitter's broke uh, <laughs> and the water's off. And so now we're, we're down a bathroom. Can you like seal it or do you got to replace it? I have no idea. I wasn't going to do this. I was I, I called a plumber because we want like fancy toilets. We want ones with like heated seats and bidets and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But there's no availability until the 22nd. And so I was like, well, this thing literally broke. I cannot use the toilet. So I had to go do my like home repair. And so like, do I want to keep this thing broken for the next two weeks plus or do I want to fix it? I don't know. It's frustrating. Okay. Welcome back. Thank you. There we go. So I mentioned that Amien has these three main master builders in its history. Again, the principal one, Thomas of Cormon, took over after Robert of Lujarsh, and he did most of the building of the nave and the transept. In this age, it was customary to build a triforium, that is the level or the part of the elevation between the colonnaded arcade and the giant clerestory. It's sort of that middle passageway if you look at sort of the tiers on the interior elevation. Usually it was customary for all these cathedrals like Chartres and Reims and Amiens to build a triforium that was covered up by a sort of slanted roof at an angle on the outside. And it was just a dark passageway that was just sort of filling the interior space. Notre Dame was, again, a little bit of an exception. Notre Dame had a larger gallery at this level with windows, but Notre Dame was sort of before this custom way of doing things was done. But then, like I said, Thomas's son, Renaud, takes over in 1258, and he starts building the choir across the transepts from the nave, and he decides to do something very different. He does away with this roof that normally would be part of the drainage system and part of this thing that's protecting the middle space of the outside, and he opens it entirely up with windows. He just fills the whole space with windows. If you look at some of our interior windows from our slide deck here, if you go to, for example, slide 20, it is a striking image that you get looking at this sort of middle part of the elevation above the arcade and below the clerestory. You can see these little windows piercing the space behind that dark passageway. And it is a really neat and unique feature of that choir at Amiens. And it's probably one of the more successful things that he did. I don't know how he worked out the drainage to make this work because there's no longer a slanted roof 
that can carry the water away from the sort of the upper tiers of the cathedral. But clearly there was some kind of alternative drainage system they worked out. Probably not that indifferent from what they use in Notre Dame too, since Notre Dame does have some windows at this mid-level as well. But again, Notre Dame sort of is outside the norm in this regard. When you say outside the norm, you've now said two of the main four are outside of the norm. I know. Well, those are the most important four, but then you have lots of other Gothic cathedrals that do sort of follow this more general trend. So, Got it. Yeah. While this one feature that Renaud did create worked quite well, there are some things that he did that did not work so well. If you actually look at slide 15, what we have here is a comparison of the flying buttresses or the flyers, the parts that spring out of the flying buttresses. Uh, on the left, you see the flying buttresses of his father, Thomas, and then the flying buttresses on the right, Renault's version. So the ones on the left are what you would see on the nave portion of the cathedral, and then the ones on the right are the ones you would see on the choir. Arches on arches on arches on arches on arches. Especially for the, the newer one on the right. The, the older ones are a little bit more ordered, a little bit kind of more like a Roman aqueduct sort of image. Yeah. And then the newer ones of the guy with daddy issues <laughs> are just nonsense all over the place. Like it's almost like an Escher painting yeah, where I, can, I can't actually quite tell where they all finish. That's a good description. I like that. Yeah, it's arches contained in arches. It's opened up space, very lacy, I think is the word I sometimes hear. It's very lace-like. And it looks cool. I like the look of Renault's flyers and his flying buttresses quite a bit. Unfortunately, though, over the years, it turned out to be that those buttresses in the right picture by Renault are next to useless. <laughs> they're mostly just eye candy. <laughs> they really don't do the job they're supposed to do. Of buttressing? It's kind of in the name. Yeah, they don't do the buttressing they're supposed to do. So is flying. Yeah. They don't do that either. Well. Up for debate. Is it? Uh, do you watch them all the time? It's hard to prove a negative. <laughs> it is hard to prove a negative. This gets a little bit into the documentary that we had David and Zach uh, watch a part of today. The classic Nova special, Building the Great Cathedrals, where in the middle of that, they do go to Amiens. Classic. Yeah, it's a classic. It's been out a good 12 years now. That's what defines most things that are classic, you know. Yeah. Like the Da Vinci Code. Right. A literature classic. <laughs> like Pearl Jam, classic rock. <laughs> if you realize just how many times I've watched that documentary, you would, I think that qualifies alone as a classic. So anything Tom has watched way too much qualifies as a classic. There's a lot of things that are classics then. Paw Patrol. Star Trek First Contact. Teletubbies. No, thank God. In the words of Andrew Tallon and Stephen Murray, the two academics and scientists who are leading the review of the structure of Amiens, they basically say that, yeah, the flying buttresses on the right here in this picture are not the props they're supposed to be. They're not propping up the walls because it doesn't have that stable, firm structure that it's going to hold up a lot of weight with. But do you also notice that underneath the lacy flyer in Renault's flying buttress, there is actually a second prop underneath it. Uh, you see the, you see like the opened up one with all the arches in the top portion. But then if you look just underneath it, there is a shape that is more reminiscent of the shapes on the left. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. That wasn't there originally. Uh, originally the flying buttresses 
were just the lacy portion on the top. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's clearly decorative. Yeah. This makes a lot more sense because before when you were saying that these don't do anything, I'm like, well, they don't look that. Like, yeah. the, the the core part doesn't look that different. But right. if you're t- the core part wasn't there. The core part wasn't there. Okay. It was only the lacy part that was there originally. One of the issues that they really talk about in the, that documentary, which I love, is they, they talk about how the central square of Amiens, it's a very large space. It's opened up with tons of light, but it is very structurally unsound. And one of two main reasons that is, is that the flying buttresses were ineffective. They weren't able to combat the lateral thrust that the heavy vault in the central square presses down on the four main columns or the four main piers. And they really started to bow outwards at the top because those flying buttresses, which you see in this picture, were just insufficient to holding back that force. And so it wasn't until the addition of the secondary flyers underneath the lacy portion that they fixed that one issue. Unfortunately, though, that wasn't the only issue with the columns in the central square. Uh, They also started to buckle and bow out at the bottom, too. Because just in general, the columns in the central square, which, by the way, we have a good picture of this. If you go to slide 22, I'm talking about the central square here. The central piers or the central columns are just not that massive. I mean, they're big, they're heavy, but they're not as heavy or as massive as they should be. David, I think if you if you can think back on your memory to having been to Washington National Cathedral, our four central pillars at Washington National Cathedral are oh so much more massive than these rather dainty things at Amiens. And it's a real problem because not only were they buckling at the top, but they also were buckling at the arcade level at the space where those aisle vaults are pushing at the lower portion. And what they talk about in the Nova documentary is how it was started to buckle in the other direction. And the only way they could stop that from actually toppling the whole building was they installed these hot iron chains around the base of the triforium. And what happened was they used metalwork to basically cool and pull back the whole space so that it would stop the columns from completely toppling over. So it's really a house of cards at Amiens. So does this... uh... This mean Amiens counts as the Gothic cathedral? Yeah. I don't know. That's a that's a great question, right? Because that really is... Like faux Gothic? I, I like the phrase they use in the Nova special. They say the metalwork was definitely outside the realm of the normal playbook of Gothic with just stone arches, vaults, and flying buttresses. So which is more pretender to Gothicness, Amiens or... Uh... What's the what's the New York one that we complained about? St. Patrick's. St. Patrick's. Which one's which one's the the pre- more pretender to the throne? St. Patrick's, David. It's ceilings made of wood or plaster. But has Amiens caught on fire? <laughs> uh, several times, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, nothing nearly as terrible as the fire at Notre Dame. The attic is largely original wood, so it's actually one of the last lasting original triangular roofs roofs that you can still find that's original to the Middle Ages, uh, unlike. Now Notre Dame, which is being rebuilt, and even Ross and uh, Chartres have sort of industrial era rebuilt roofs. Also, again, as we just quickly look through some of these pictures here, too, I think out of all the various Gothic cathedrals I've shown you pictures of, would you agree with me that Amiens in these pictures does look like it's one of the lightest on the interior? Which one was the one that was uh, spray painted white? <laughs> uh, that was Chart. I'd say that's brighter. And by spray painted, you mean cleaned? Fair enough. The modern renovated Chart is brighter than this, 
But considering that the cleaning on the inside of this hasn't happened in a very long time, would you agree that this is, relatively speaking, considerably brighter than the pictures of Notre Dame you've seen, for example? Yes. I mean, I mean absolutely compared to Notre Dame. Yeah. But I, there's a good reason for that. Aside from the fact that the windows are, in general, bigger, it's not simply that the windows are bigger. Most of the windows at Amiens are not stained glass. Uh, not stained glass. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Almost all these windows are just plain white windows. Makes it a lot more like St. Paul's. Exactly. That's It makes it a lot more like St. Paul's. You've got sporadic stained glass. You've got your three rose windows, which are mostly still stained glass. Is this a post-war thing? Was, was it, did it used to be stained glass? There is one other passage from Dr. Stephen Murray that I wanted to bring this up about. Piecing together the glazing program at Amiens is difficult given the extent of the losses incurred in the nave aisle windows, which were torn out and mostly destroyed in the 1290s and 1370s. The destruction reached a crescendo in the 18th century with massive losses resulting from a series of accidents, windstorms, and explosions. And from the desire of the clergy, the, like something in French that I cannot pronounce, Cécile de Luminaires, for brighter, clearer interior illumination. Sadly, some of the qualities that we most admire about Amiens, above all that silvery light playing upon the delicately wrought surfaces, is a result of the combination of natural disasters, changing taste, and vandalism that led to the installation of vast expanses of clear glass. So the original daylight savings. <laughs> yeah. We don't like working in the dark. Yeah. Make it brighter, please. So I, since I think I interpret this a couple of ways, since Amiens is so tall and really tried to push the envelope for height and light as far as it could, it has just generally suffered more structural issues over its life and has lost more of its glass, its original stained glass because of that. And when time came to replacing it, the taste was we kind of like plain brightness in here. So they replaced it most of the time with just plain white glass. I bet those priests were behind all those explosions of the 18th century. Yeah, it doesn't really specify what the explosions are. It just says, just says explosions. There were explosions. It's car chases. You know, you hit a fruit stand, the fruit stand explodes. The original Fast and the Furious. Yeah. So I think one of the last noticeable features of Amiens is the central spire at the center of the crossing. Oh, it's huge. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It's tall. It's also very tilted. Yeah, so is my kid's neck. It's fine. <laughs> Ouch. We're working on it. He's in physical therapy. Yeah, yeah. Good. Those neck muscles, they got to grow strong. And symmetrical, apparently. He's really good on, on his left side, not on his right. The spire <laughs> is... <laughs> Moving on. The spire um, was built in the 16th century. There was a first spire that was struck by lightning and burned down. And I guess sort of miraculously, the rest of the roof didn't burn down with it. So that was sort of a blessing. Uh, but they had to rebuild a second spire that was completed in the year 1533. And that's what we see here today. Although it's gone under extensive renovations to try to keep it propped up so it doesn't fall over. Into the swamp. But to this day, it's been bent for quite a while. That's where my brain went to. <laughs> it's quite elegant. And in fact, um, Amiens Cathedral, very much like Notre Dame, did go under restoration by Ville le Duc, our same gentleman who made so much of an impact at Notre Dame herself in Paris. Which was first? I'll get more information. We're, I think we'll do like a whole episode on Ville Le Duc sometime because he's such an interesting guy. So he was uh, he was having a steeple measuring contest with himself. Possibly. Although it is said that he went to Amiens to study Amiens' central steeple spire 
and he used it as inspiration for the spire he built at Notre Dame. You can see a lot of similarities because, again, a lot of these other French cathedrals don't necessarily have a central spire at their crossing. The sort of Amiens sort of set a standard for that that was almost copied in Paris. So anyway, I just as we sort of close up today, I just wanted to point out a few things about my Minecraft cathedral. Yeah, I, I, I'm quite pleased with how this one turned out. Well, of course, Notre Dame is where my loyalties are. Uh, Amiens has a special place in my heart, too. And for me, the most important feature of Amiens, the part that I think is the most impressive is its apps. It's semicircular clerestory and then the window pierced triforium that we talked about earlier. And if you look at um, my slide deck, actually, it's sorry, it's not in my slide deck. Do you have open the pictures that we were looking at earlier on our website from Yen? Yep. If you go to the uh, first of the interior pictures where you're looking just straight down the corridor and you see at the far end with the god rays of light shining through the windows, that's probably the picture I'm most proud of because you can see distinctly five clerestory windows from left to right all sort of wrapped around. That was not easy to do, trying to squeeze that many windows into just a finite amount of space. But then also getting underneath it, those windows piercing the triforium as well. That was really, I was trying to evoke that same sort of light piercing the whole east end space uh, that we saw earlier in some of our pictures of our slide deck. There is no apps that surpasses Amien for that reason, in my opinion. I am flying around it currently to our stained glass conversation. I see you went with a more ancient version of it because uh, you only do stained glass. I, I did sort of a combination. If you look closely at a lot of those mostly white windows, especially in the clear street, you will see tidbits of color glass at sort of like regular intervals that sort of like make up the edges of the panes. So I think what I did for at least some of the upper windows was I had like plain white windows next to columns of color just to sort of give the impression that there is some color, but it is not as plentiful as it would be in other windows. Of course, Minecraft stained glass cheats and that it still allows for a lot of light. Yeah, that's true. And of course, I went with the tiled deep slate for my vaults again, although in this case, the tile deep slate is really much darker than the vaults actually are at Amiens, even though they're quite old. So if I were to redo the texture pack for this, I would probably brighten it up even more. Are you going to um, fill out your portfolio with some of the other notable cathedrals in France? No, because he's only going to work on Notre Dame. Yeah, just what David said. Only going to work on the two to one build. Oh, oh he said I'm only. <laughs> you're only going to work on Notre Dame, but he didn't say which. <laughs> That's true. Not for a while, but eventually one day I will get to Ross and Chart. Um, honestly, I think I want to give them a little bit of a break and just see how many more new blocks they add to Minecraft because I'm interested in using like mud brick and uh, some of the newer like beige blocks or brown blocks to use a different color palette to do my next cathedral. Again, all these cathedrals are made out of limestone, but there's varying degrees of like brown in them. I think one of the points of critique that I've received about my builds, which is well taken on my end, is that a lot of people say my my builds are too gray. And since I'm using nothing but the stone palette, uh, that doesn't really reflect the beige kind of light brown color that you might get off of a lot of these cathedrals, Notre Dame included. And my response has always been, if I want to get that beige tint, 
I could always go through the the texture pack and just adjust the hue of each of the textures fairly easily and get that. But I, I guess the reason that I've been sticking with the gray stone palette so far is I like so many blocks fit in that palette and there's so many different like cracked stone bricks and now the deep slate. There's just so much stuff that works together. It's really hard to break away from it. So I need to stretch myself a little bit the next time I do something and really try something with some different blocks just for fun to see if I can pull it off too. Really wish they had cracked mud bricks. That is a oversight in my opinion. Well, I think one of the, the things that I like about looking at other people's builds is you are comfortable mixing in like andesite mm. into your builds to give it a different sort of texture, but mixing in other colors in like a limited capacity also has a dramatic effect. So when you're doing your peers, uh, you'll have blocks and then in between the blocks on the diagonals, you'll put walls, mm -hmm. right? And it gives it a more rounded look. But you're you're trying to match the material in the block right. with the material in the wall. Like you'll use andesite wall, you'll use stone brick wall. But mm -hmm. if you use like maybe some mud brick block behind a stone wall, some of that color can come through. Right. Or a mud brick wall in front of stone blocks. And that would be more prominent. Yeah, I, 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 there's nothing that says I can't mix the browns with the grays. It's it's a new thing. Mm -hmm. I just have to really, like I think I mentioned before, color palettes are probably my area of greatest growth that I need to step out of my comfort zone with because I'm obviously quite proficient at gray. <laughs> what a lovely sentence. But I haven't shown my skill with much other than gray and white. So yeah, I'm just curious. What do you guys think of Amien now that you've seen both the Minecraft build and Notre Dame as well. You know, how do these two cathedrals, both in the real world and in Minecraft, compare? What, uh, do you have a preference over one or the other? I think I like the Western facade of Amiens a little bit more. Oh, okay. And I'm going to be a heretic in that regard. No, this doesn't. This tracks with things I know about you. Go ahead. I'm curious. I'd love to hear this. What What is it you like a little bit more about Amiens? Uh, I like the um, I like the asymmetry between the North and South Tower. It's very striking. It's not boring. Uh, I like all of the art that is mixed in. Um, I think we were telling uh, the story earlier in the episode about wanting to be able to draw people into the nave and that the portal is the thing that does it. Not just the dimensions of the portal, but the art on the portal is trying to tell a story. And I like the idea of, you know, filling that space with art. Absolutely. There's so much more sculpture squeezed into every nook and cranny of Amiens. They have a king's gallery, but then those portals are just packed with sculpture. And it's hard to tell, again, from these pictures here, but those portals at Amiens are a lot deeper than the portals at Notre Dame. Because you have to understand that the, the whole tower structure, it's hard to tell, but the whole tower structure is basically sitting on top of those funnel-like portals, just like Murray says in his book. For me, it's just, it's so hard to get past the nostalgia factor of, as we said before, you had far too many various versions of Notre Dame de Paris in our, in, in our house, various models. And so it's just in, intrinsic to my personal aesthetic. I also, to my Minecraft aesthetic, I have a lot of trouble breaking away from symmetry. So I have a, a general need for symmetry uh, in most things in my life. So I tend to gravitate to that more. But symmetry is amplified by 
sitting next to asymmetry. So it's actually quite fun looking at the the two in comparison here that you have and admiring uh, them both for how different that can feel. You're telling us, Tom, about the there are differences between the North and South Tower on uh, Notre Dame de Paris as well. Mm, sure, sure. Just not nearly to the same extent. Yeah. Who's to say what was in the minds of the builders 800 years ago, but my interpretation is the asymmetries at Notre Dame are not meant to be noticeable. They exist, but they're meant to fool you thinking that it's symmetric, whereas the asymmetries at Amiens are clearly designed to look asymmetrical. I just assume they goofed up in the building. Building cathedrals is hard. Yeah, maybe they goofed up. I mean, Notre Dame's older and... It was an earlier trial run. Someone stood way back out, stuck his thumb out. Like, hmm, yep, looks good. <laughs> I think my favorite screenshot out of all the Minecraft ones I did is the slide 40 in the slide deck. Um, I just really like the comparison from the east end of Notre Dame and Amiens. Because, again, you get the very prominent bell towers of Notre Dame. But you can also just see just considerably how more massive the internal space at Amiens is. Uh, with that much higher vault and that the towers just barely peek over the roof level. The roof level and the towers are almost the same. So it's just a very different profile. It's a very different silhouette that it makes. I like them both. I like the contrast of them both. Yeah, having the roof at the same level as the towers is something that I actually don't really enjoy. That's one of the things about Notre Dame de Paris that I actually like is that the, the towers provide one level and then the, the roof over the nave provides another level. Uh, whereas for this... Um, yeah, and it's all having the, the roof and the tower level be so close to one another. Boxy is not the right word because, you know, everything is so pointy, lacy, you know, not boxy. But the rough shape of it, like imagine in Minecraft, if you're going to be making a build, the first thing you do is you make a box, right? And then you start to modify that box. But it doesn't seem like if this master builder were building in Minecraft, you remember that you're supposed to alter the box in a lot of different ways in order to make it interesting. Like the, the top is all the top. They're almost not towers. Yeah, exactly. Like a tower needs to rise above. <laughs> Well, and they were built a bit later than the rest of the structure. Actually, the, the top tier or two of those towers came, I always want to say, almost about 100 years after most of the rest of the cathedral was built. So they were like almost an afterthought. Uh, it's actually surprising how many cathedrals that's true for or Gothic structures. I think the same thing goes for Westminster Abbey in London. The towers of Westminster Abbey were later additions several hundred years after the main bulk of the nave was actually built i mean after all these are churches first and that's not how we're focusing on them but the church part is the literal opposite end of the towers almost as far as you can get from the towers and still be in the cathedral yeah i i, I like them both it's almost like notre dame would be the same proportions as amiens if you just stretched its first arcade level because really where amiens gains all its height is again looking at slide 40 uh my favorite picture from the back you can see just like how that first level is just so much taller than the rest of it the clear stories are honestly about the same height it's just that you know the wedding cake image of notre dame you know has like sort of a thin bottom level another sort of thin medium level and then it's a tall clear story or zombie has gigantic arcade level thin triforium and then a uh, same size clear story at the top so it just sort of 
the proportions are considerably different. So for safety reasons in your build, did you put a lightning rod at the top of your spire? That's a good question. Did I put a lightning rod? That's it for now. Check out our podcast website at cathedraltalk.fm. There you will find many architectural visuals and Minecraft goodies. If you would like to support our efforts here at Cathedral Talk to aid in the restoration of Notre Dame, please use the direct link on our website to donate to Friends of Notre Dame de Paris.org. Friends of Notre Dame is a nonprofit organization that is leading the international fundraising efforts to rebuild and restore Notre Dame Cathedral. By donating to them through the link at cathedraltalk.fm, we'll know that our podcast is reaching new patrons. As our own Minecraft project progresses, we'll be sure to share plans, screenshots, and videos for your own visual palette. Good day and happy building.